Turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. Acts in the first chapter. We'll be covering all of chapter 1 this morning, Lord willing. Let's talk about bridges for a moment. Bridges make connections and make for progress. You likely drove over many bridges on your way to get here this morning, depending on which direction you came. Perhaps you drove over the Missouri River off to the east. Perhaps you drove over the Platte River if you came from a further away. Likely, most likely, you drove over many creeks and streams. But in order to make progress to your destination, to get from point A to point B, you needed a bridge. Well, with the Gospel of Luke, which Pastor Pat just finished, we studied Volume 1 of a two-volume set. In Volume 1, we learned about the life of the Messiah, of Jesus, about His ministry while He walked on this earth. Now, as we move to the book of Acts, we move to Volume 2, also written by Luke. Luke will show us what Jesus is doing in His church through the body of Christ here on earth, while Jesus is in heaven. Luke in Acts is building bridges to take us from when Christ walked on the earth to when Christ is now in heaven. In Acts, Luke is building bridges. He's building bridges from the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the Old Covenant to the New Covenant under Jesus. From the life of Jesus among His people on earth before His life, death, and resurrection to the life of Jesus among His people while He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. In the book of Acts, bridges are being built to connect Jew with Gentile. And bridges are being built to progress from the new church whose foundation is laid by the apostles to the church of today that is being built on that foundation by our Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit as He promised us that He would. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Paul Luke addresses this book to Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus is. Probably a real person. Probably a Gentile. And he says that in the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, he dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is that the first book was about Jesus, what Jesus taught then, and now this book is what Jesus is doing now. The book of Acts is about what Jesus is doing now. Verse 2 until the day when He was taken up, when He ascended, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He has chosen. Acts paints a magnificent picture of the church. The church is shown to be the instrument of the risen Lord. By the baptizing ministry of the Holy Spirit, we who have trusted in Christ are in the church. All believers in Christ are in the church. All believers in Christ have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the head of this church. We are His body. We gather around Him at church. We learn from Him at church. 
We learn from His grace, from His mercy, from His justice, from His holiness. We learn through the Holy Spirit as He promised. We go forth into the world from Him. And we see in verse 2 the first mention of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit who will do the work of Christ in His church. Look at verse 3. He, Jesus, presented Himself alive to them, talking about the disciples, after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the only place where we're told how long Jesus was on the earth before He was ascended. 40 days. Matter of fact, Matthew and John don't mention the ascension at all. Only Luke does. But Luke mentions it twice. Just three weeks ago, Pastor Pat taught about the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now Luke reminds us about that ascension once again. Matter of fact, these many proofs that are talked about are there to remind us that this Jesus rose from the dead in space and time. It is not a fiction of someone's imagination. There are ten different recorded instances of Jesus in the Scriptures and His resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are told 500 people saw Him. And 25 years after the resurrection, Paul is challenging those to go and look at the evidence, to talk to people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. This is a verified fact in time. And Jesus is reminding His apostles that the mission that they are about to go on is a result of His death and His resurrection. These appearances were gracious and necessary. For the apostles has flunked on their understanding of what Jesus was teaching them about the future before the cross. Luke makes this very plain. On the Emmaus Road, Jesus has to tell the dejected disciples what's going to happen next and how everything that has happened has been in fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. What the Jews do not understand, what the disciples still do not understand, is that at this point in time, Jesus is not restoring the kingdom to Israel. At this point in time, there is another mission. The disciples are somewhat blind to the fact that Jesus has come not just to reach out to the Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to reach out to the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't get that. He's still got to teach them that, which He will do as we progress through the book of Acts. Let's go to verse 4. And while staying with them, He, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus tells them to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem yet. Jesus wants them to wait for the promise of the Father. What is that promise? Well, it is the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminds them He's spoken of this before. He says, you heard this from Me. When did they hear it? Well, they heard it on the night before the crucifixion. 
Jesus said in John 14, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Again, a little later that same night in John 16, Jesus told them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Why must they wait? Because God's work is to be done in God's power. We like to think God's work is done by human schemes, plans, and devices. The most important thing, and it will be emphasized over and over and over in the book of Acts, is to understand that the work of the church is done by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of men. Without the power of the Holy Spirit behind the work of the church and individual believers who compose the church, nothing will happen. It is like having a power tool without electricity. Without a dependence on Christ to the power of the Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. The church today has been characterized by some as having an awful lot of activity going on. That is, there's a great deal of wires strung about all over the place, but there's not much power in it. There's nothing to fuel the power behind the church except for the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to get away from a trust and a reliance on our own ideas, our own intelligence, our own effort, our own hard work, our own activities, on what we've done and not on what Christ has done. But Jesus is making sure that His disciples know that they have to wait for the Holy Spirit before setting forth. Let's go to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a completely expected question. It is a natural question for them to ask. Expected because these disciples are Jews who knew their Old Testament, and as such, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures spoke over and over again of the kingdom coming to Israel with a descendant of King David sitting on the throne of this kingdom and with the cross behind them and the risen Lord standing before them They want to know if now is the time. Give these disciples some credit. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. Otherwise, it would not be time for the kingdom to come. They understand that this Jesus is the long-awaited king who will sit on the throne of King David. They understand that. They also understand that Ezekiel 36 and Joel chapter 2 talked of the coming of the Spirit. And that reviving Israel would happen. So they're thinking, based upon all the Old Testament passages, all the promises given to Israel, that now is when the kingdom is going to come in. The kingdom that is about the people that God had chosen in the Old Testament. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The kingdom was coming now, right? That's what they want to hear. I mean, John the Baptist and Jesus had both said, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They knew it could be close. And Jesus did talk about the kingdom. John the Baptist talked about the kingdom. And when they talked about the kingdom, just like we saw in verse 3 already, that kingdom was the reign of salvation, the reign of redemption that is coming through God, through Jesus Christ. That is a kingdom that extends throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that we who have believed in Jesus have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness in the, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. But they're looking for a more specific kingdom. One promised by the Old Testament prophets. One that they were told to expect. Well, the Lord's response in verse 7 is interesting. He doesn't rebuke them or even dispute the premise of their question. Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice, Jesus does not deny there's going to be a kingdom in the future. But rather, he simply says in reply to their question, it is not for you to know times or season. It's not any of your business. It's not a rebuke. But they are not going to know when it comes in. In effect, he's telling them, that's not what's important right now. But Jesus doesn't leave them without direction, does he? There's that little word, but... In contrast to their question, which is, tell us when, Jesus says, you're not going to know when. But, here is what you are to do. Here is your mission. He tells them the time has come for them to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and them to be, as Jesus says, my witnesses. They are to testify to Christ. They are to be my witnesses. They are not to be concerned about the specific timing of the coming kingdom, but they are to be about the work of being spirit-powered witnesses for Jesus. And where are they to go with the gospel of Christ? They are to be witnesses in an an ever-expanding circle. They are in Jerusalem at this moment. And Jesus tells them, you're to move into the surrounding region of Judea. You are to move then to Samaria, to the north, and eventually to the very ends of the earth. This geographic outline that Jesus gives them about where they are to be His witnesses is mirrored in the way the book of Acts is set out. In chapters 1 through 7 in Acts, they are witnessing for Jesus in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12 of Acts, they are witnessing for Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And from chapters 13 and to chapter 28, the very end of the book, they witness expands across the Mediterranean until at the very end we find Paul in Rome, the Gentile capital of the world, to the ends of the earth. That is the mission. Well, in light of this, 
What is our charge as the church today? What is our mission? What does Jesus tell the apostles and the others gathered with them? It is to follow in the footsteps of the apostles and the disciples as they were spirit-powered witnesses for Jesus. So we too are to be spirit-powered witnesses for Christ. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe God providentially takes us, even as a church, through the Scriptures to various places, to various books, so that we might grow and learn. Pastor Pat has just spent the last couple of years preaching through the book of Luke, talking about the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, the salvation that is ours in Him. And now we come to the book of Acts. And the emphasis in the book of Acts is on us being witnesses for Christ. God is providentially leading us to put an emphasis on the witness that we are to be for Jesus Christ, for His life, death, and resurrection, for the salvation that is ours in Him, to tell the city of Omaha, to tell, to tell Iowa and Nebraska, to promote the ministry of the gospel, the witness of the gospel even in India and in China. This is the mission of the church. The primary mission is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. See, the tendency for us is to get complacent. The tendency for us is to be discouraged because often when we proclaim the gospel, the reception isn't what we would like. But we are called to be witnesses for Christ. And God does not hold us as believers in His church responsible for the response to the gospel. Rather, He holds us responsible. He empowers us through the Spirit so that we might be witnesses for Christ. We might testify to what Christ has done. And Jesus is simply reminding the disciples of what He told them on His final days on earth. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That last statement, I am with you always, brings us to the ascension of Jesus. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who talks about this in detail. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In much the same way as the resurrection is the evidence the Father accepted the work of the Son on the cross, so the ascension is the seal of the Father on all Christ did in his earthly ministry. And it marks the start of his heavenly ministry seated at the right hand of the Father. While his work of redemption on the cross is finished, while his blood was shared, shed as our substitute, and while Jesus bore the wrath of God for us, let's not forget for a moment that Jesus also said, 
He would build His church. And I am always with you. And the ascension marks the starting point for this. For Jesus, our high priest in heaven, is working today to bring to completion all that He and the Father have planned for His people. Jesus is working towards His return. And all of this is grounded in His life, death, and resurrection. Let's not forget for a minute, the Lord Jesus is not an absentee Lord. He is not absent from us because He sits at the right hand of the Father. Rather, He is working. He is living. He is active in the world today. That His Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing deep into our hearts. That we have a great high priest, Jesus, who sympathized with our weaknesses, weaknesses, for He walked this earth and was tempted as we are. The evidence of this active and living Lord in heaven is seen throughout the book of Acts. Turn over to chapter 2 of Acts. Chapter 2, verses 32. All of this is working towards the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in the midst of the sermon on Pentecost Day, Peter says, verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He... Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The pouring out of the Spirit. People coming to faith in Christ. Jesus is doing that in Acts chapter 2. He's also the power behind the 3,000 people being saved. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 47. And the Lord, again, Lord in the book of Acts is almost always referring to Jesus. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus was doing that. Doing it through the work of the Spirit. Turn over to chapter 3, verse 13. Peter is speaking to the Jews after the healing of a lame beggar. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. It is the name of Jesus. The name stands for the person of Christ. It is in the name of Jesus that this lame beggar has been healed. It is the power of Christ through the Spirit that has healed him. Turn with me to one more passage. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 where we find the Jesus who is building His church and is always with us, bringing salvation to Saul. Saul, the persecutor of the church, as he heads to Damascus to kill more Christians. Verse 3, Now as he, Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, 
Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. You see, Jesus is the active and living Lord, working from the right hand of the throne of God throughout this age. Luke even ends the book of Acts in an abrupt and striking way with a statement from and about Paul concerning the continuation of ministry to the Gentiles. Acts 28, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He, Paul, lived there, that is in Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with a boldness and without hindrance. There is no farewell at the end of the book of Acts. There is no word addressed to anyone. It's as if God is telling us that the work of the church begun by the active and living Jesus in the book of Acts is continuing on. That the story continues to be written by Christ through His church. One evidence of the living and active Lord Jesus is the fact that we are here today. We are here in this auditorium this morning. The miracle of salvation is seen in every one who is a believer in Christ here today. The active and living Jesus is seen in the gathering of His church here. His presence is here. And His power of salvation is not just seen here, but rather it is seen across the globe as believers in India, in China, in Syria, in Nepal, assemble and meet together and worship our Savior in prayer, song, and in preaching of the Word and in coming to the Lord's table as we will do even later this morning. Jesus is working. Jesus ministers to His people and to this world through the body, through the church. The church is the theme of Acts. We are instruments in His hands, powered by living bread and water that will never run out or run dry. And through this power, the church is a witness to the miracle of salvation. We testify that it is our Christ that stretches His hand out to the ends of the earth and saves people from their sins. This is our mission. We are not left alone to carry it out. Rather, we have been empowered by Christ through the Holy Spirit to do so. And we have been empowered not just just individually by Christ, but we are collectively empowered by Him. The whole collective assembly of the church is greater than the individual parts. As each part functions according to the gifts Christ has given to us, we each complement one another in a supernatural way. We create a powerful witness to Christ to point to Him, to point to Him in glory. The early church could only do this by trusting in Christ and through the power of the Spirit. The same is true for us. Well, they were told to wait. Go down to verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. Back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. They are told to wait and so... They do. They wait for the Spirit. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath journey away, about a half-mile walk. 
And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, likely the upper room where the Last Supper was held, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. He just named the eleven remaining disciples. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Jesus had four brothers. Now we'll come to a story that prepares the apostles for the great day of Pentecost. One of the apostles chosen by Jesus, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Christ. Peter tells us the story of this one who is not a witness to Christ, but is a witness to demonic things, to satanic involvement. He is a demonic witness who brings destruction. He is an enemy of Christ. Yet what Peter will tell us is that this was foretold in the Old Testament, that this is fulfillment of the prophecy given in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Peter makes clear Judas was numbered among them and had a full share in the ministry as one of the apostles. He was the only Judean among the apostles. Most were from lowly Galilee, from lesser tribes of Israel. You see, those from Judea were were thought to be important. They were thought to be cultured people. And evidently, they thought highly of Judas, the disciples did, because they had entrusted him with their money. He had their confidence. Now, we don't have time this morning to give a message on Judas. But we should note that he was not someone who unfortunately stumbled into some difficult circumstances over which he had no control. No, Judas is never spoken of in the Scripture as having any spiritual ambition, of any desire to know the Lord. He was present when the Lord preached. He was constantly at his side. He was an intimate witness of the Lord's miracles. When he walked on the earth, he saw Jesus heal the lame. Yet Judas refused to believe and rejected the claims of Christ. He was an insider, but he was never committed to Christ. Jesus warns his church even today of these kinds of things. In Matthew 7, he says that enemies will arise from inside the church who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are actually ravenous wolves. Judas is not the first and only example. Paul warns the elders in Ephesus of the same danger, and we are not immune to this trap. We need to be reminded 
that there will be false teachers among us, like Judas, following in his footsteps. Well, there is one more thing to be done before the promised spirit is sent in Acts chapter 2. They must name Judas's replacement in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So they will name another disciple. Verse 20, 21 of Acts chapter 1. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time, Peter is still speaking. So one of the men who had accompanied us all during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Notice here the primary qualifications to be one of the twelve apostles. He must have been an eyewitness of the earthly ministry of Jesus and his, and his resurrection. This eliminates all those who would say they are apostles today. Or really anyone after the first century. They are unbiblical and false apostles. It also eliminates those who claim they are successors to the apostles or a successor to the apostle Peter. You are not one of Christ's twelve apostles if you did not see his earthly ministry and see him risen from the dead. The apostle Paul is a special case of one untimely born, the scriptures tell us, which we will discuss when we come to Acts chapter 9 and chapter 15. So two men are put forward who meet the qualifications. Notice who they address their prayer to and the content of their brief prayer. Verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Their prayer is addressed to the Lord Jesus. Even though he has just ascended, they are praying to him, asking for his guidance and his direction. And he, as the active living Lord, is being asked to reveal to them his choice, which, by the way, is a choice they understand has already been made by the Lord. In His sovereignty, He already knows who has to be the next apostle. You see, the, the apostles understand Jesus is the sovereign God who is building His church and has not left them alone. He has revealed to them that it is Matthias. The Lord has now prepared and instructed the apostles to be His witnesses. But they are still told to wait to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell them so they are will be enabled to carry out the mission to be powerful witnesses for Jesus to Jerusalem, to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. I'm amazed as we come to this place in history with the book of Acts. The Lord has prepared the world for the coming of Christ and His gospel. Alexander the Great, a Greek conquered a vast empire across the Mediterranean. And he established Greek as the common language of the Mediterranean world in order to communicate the gospel. The Romans brought relative peace and safety 
and easy travel over good roads and, yes, even good bridges to facilitate the spread of the gospel. So much so that even at the end of Acts, Acts 28, as we read, Paul is in the very capital of the Gentile world. The the active and living Jesus through the Spirit is is the power behind it all. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful to Thee for these wonderful words from Luke. We're grateful for the fact that Jesus is building His church as He promised. That He promised to never leave us or forsake us. We are thankful that Jesus is our active and living Savior. Our High Priest, who as the God-man, as the second Adam, is seated at Your right hand in heaven even now as our representative. We thank you that Jesus is our advocate. God the Father sees Jesus and not our sin. He sees his righteousness, not our righteousness. For he is our substitute, the one who died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. I pray, Father, that we we would be your witnesses in this city in this region, and to the nations of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.